0: Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread, episode 130. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Thread is a podcast for leaders. It's a verse-by-verse Bible study where we go through New Testament primarily looking for models of leadership. We see mistakes that leaders made and we see great examples of leadership. We do this so that we can take our place as a person of influence, whether it's at school, in the workplace, or in our families, that we will exert the influence and push God's good ways into the the situation and the circumstance and create an environment where growth occurs and people's lives are changed. That's what I've been about all my life. And I, I don't, I've do not i never felt more strongly about the need for it than now. You know, good people have to shine. And your little light shines best when you realize it's a little light. And you take the cover off of it and you put your energy into it and you really try to shine. You know, you want to be a good example. You want to be an influence. And you, you actually find people, you know, ask the Lord to help you see them that, you know, because everybody's not searching, but some people are searching and they're desperate to find truth or to find change or, and, uh, you know, they look around and there's all these voices that are really trying to get their attention, mostly just to sell them stuff, but also to, uh, to, you know, change the way they think and to push them. Only these people don't know what they're doing. They don't know God. They don't know truth. They've not been transformed themselves. And they're just mouthing all these things, but they do it with so much forcefulness that others follow them and end up you know, t- in twice as big a mess as they were when they started. So, you know, it's a, it's a joy to reach into the lives of other people and to see God use you as his hands, as his lips, and you bring comfort to them and you bring his message to them and their heart gets, you know, gets filled with hope. And then faith comes in and they reach out and find Christ for themselves and the blinders fall off of their eyes and they can see the truth and they can go forward in it. And that's really what, um, that's what this week's thread is about. And we're in Acts chapter 24. It's an important story. And I think we're all going to be encouraged by it and and maybe, maybe challenged a bit because, you know, it's important if we're going to have a life that matters it's important to find our role and then to dedicate ourselves to it. You know, like God, what do you want me to do? What's the main thing that I'm here to do? I'm here to do lots of nice things, but I mean, there's a main purpose for each of us. And we need to figure out what it is. And once I find it, I need to become competent at that role and then give everything I have to it and not draw back and not allow myself to become distracted by anything else. But to just focus on that role. And Paul he found his role and it changes his life. He's able to focus all of his energies on one thing. And man, it's wonderful when you get it down to one thing. Hmm? Now Paul was being equipped for his role long before he ever met Christ. And that's a wonderful thing about God. Because he he sees our future and we're born with a purpose he begins to do things that will prepare our heart for the calling that he's going to reveal to us later. So we're in, you know, we're in formation long before we're ready to actually do the thing that God called us to do. And I think of King David. Before he was King David, he was little boy David who wanted to be a warrior and wanted to be an awesome man. And Uh, You know, spent his time learning how to really hit things well with his slingshot and and all the other ways that they did battle in those days. And, you know, I was a little boy. I remember playing army and you want glory and be a glorious man. And, you know, David lived for that. But like Paul, uh, David also developed a heart for God when he was young. Now, in Paul's case, his heart for God grew into a real love of God's word. And he, his, his father helped him get a solid education. He was educated by Gamaliel, who was one of the chief scholars in the world in that generation. And Paul also was given by God a gift for public discourse. He had, a, he had an ability and, and actually desired it because as another thing he got was a competitive spirit. So Paul was somebody who did not shrink back from public arguments and public debate. He didn't mind those things at all. He would wade into the battle, and uh, he learned the skills of keeping your head, and not getting all caught up in emotion, and keeping direction as you're, you know, as you're discoursing. Well, then with all this early preparation— Later on in his life, he, of course, gets off track. He becomes all full of himself and proud and bigoted, and he starts killing good people, thinking he's doing God a favor. Uh, He's being a righteous man, and then he meets Christ. On the road to Damascus, he's going there to persecute people and put people in jail and cause people's lives to be taken from them, and God knocks him off his high horse, literally blinds him. And then he ends up in a house trying to recover, still can't see, He's mourning because Jesus spoke to him. You know, Paul, when he got knocked off his horse, he said, who are you? And the voice said, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And Paul was so stricken in his heart because he was trying to follow God in his self-righteousness. And now he met the righteous one. And Jesus offered him the gift of righteousness, that he would take away his evil. He would erase every bad thing he'd ever done. And he would make him righteous, not by works, but by a gift, because of his blood on the cross. And as Paul was receiving all of this from the Lord, God sent a prophet to Paul. His name was Agabus. And Agabus said these words to him You will, and, you know, from God, you will bear my name before Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. And Agabus laid hands on Paul and Something came off of his eyes, and he could see, and he knew his purpose. And Paul gave everything to this purpose. He knew his life's theme. His theme was to bear witness. And I think of, um, they don't do it much anymore, but uh, signboard carriers. You know, there'd be a guy that had a message on it. It was either a business message, or maybe he had an end-of-the-world Feeling, And he would paint his end of the world message and then he'd wear it. You know, he'd put his head in between a a contraption and he'd carry around this sign on his front and his back. And it had a message. And Paul understands that's what he is. I bear God's message. I bear witness to who Christ is and what he has done for, for all of us. Paul knew he was called to bring the gospel. And he was called to bring the gospel to three groups of people. He was supposed to bring the gospel to Gentiles, and he was supposed to bring the gospel to the children of Israel, and somehow God was going to allow him to bring the gospel even to kings and other high-ranking government officials. And he recognized also that every time he opened his mouth to fulfill this calling of bearing witness to the gospel of what Jesus had done, an anointing would come on him, and God's power would work through him. Now, ministering to the children of Israel, he got to do that early. And actually, he's, he just had another, exam, uh, another opportunity to do it, and we'll go back over that in a second. Then uh, his season of Gentile ministry happened, kind of unexpectedly. He didn't necessarily like Gentiles, but God revealed his word to Gentiles, and Paul started to see that they were fellow workers, and they were equal children of God to the Jew. And then the Lord opened his mind. He had great revelation about this, that not only, you know, was God calling some Gentiles, but that he was erasing the wall of division between Jews and Gentiles. And now he's had 20 years of ministry. And uh, the last part of this calling is coming to pass. He is going to begin witnessing to kings, government people, high ranking people, literal kings. Paul is entering into a season where that's going to happen. You know, if God has spoken something into your heart and it hasn't ever happened yet, tarry for it. Just wait, because God's word never fails. And Paul discovers that in this situation. In Acts chapter 22, verse 11, God has prepared Paul for this season. He said, you must bear witness for me in Rome. And then quickly, events begin to transpire that position him to do just that. He gets arrested. He uh, gets to speak to the Jewish Sanhedrin, their ruling body. Remember, God said he would speak to the children of Israel. Now he has a chance to speak to the leaders of the Jewish religion. And he pours his heart out to them. He's been able to speak to a centurion, a Roman centurion, the commander over Jerusalem. His name was Lysias. And he sent Paul to Caesarea under arrest to the regional governor and the regional governor in those days was Felix and he served from AD 52 to 59 he was a corrupt man he was political he took bribes to pervert justice and he chose his actions not out of a set of values but you know according to whatever helped him in politics and so felix has this trial and paul stands there and his accusers bring in a professional orator who really butters up felix and he uh that's the beginning of this chapter 24 and he oh you're the greatest man and he's just all over him well then it's Paul's turn and in his introduction in good conscience he cannot say much good about Felix so he just kind of says to him uh I am happy to present my case to you governor Felix because you know this isn't your first rodeo you know about the law and you know about Jews, and you know about the way this thing I follow, this people I'm a part of, and uh, he begins to to speak to Felix. And the interesting thing about Paul's behavior in trial is that he's not his normal self. You know, usually if he's like when he was Paul versus the Sanhedrin, he's witnessing, but he's also, you know, he's he's working for his position. And in this case, Paul's focus isn't so much even on securing his own freedom or getting out of this mess because he knows why he's here. He's here to witness to Felix, the governor. That's why God let this whole circumstance come about. And so Paul is there and he knows Felix is here and I'm here and Felix is here by God's uh, ordained plan so he can hear the gospel. And so he has a chance to change. And so in verse 11, Paul says to him on his own defense, yeah, you can easily get the facts and you can realize that their claims against me are lies and also that no Roman laws have even been broken. But what I do want to talk to you about, verse 15, is about the judgment to come. I want to talk to you about the fact that we're all going to be resurrected from the dead, this life is not over when we die. We're going to be resurrected from the dead and reunited with our physical bodies either to go to heaven and experience the joy and the blessing of the Lord forever and ever or to go to hell and feel the agony of separation from God and from what we could have had if we would have changed forever and ever. And that's an entirely different, you know, that's an entirely different angle on your own defense. He is talking personally to the governor. Well, the case ends and nothing really is settled. And he's held, he's held prisoner still. And his accusers go away. They go back home. But Felix keeps calling for Paul. He calls for him to speak privately. And he even brings his wife into this relationship. His wife is Jewish. Her name is Drusilla, and Drusilla was royalty. She's actually the great-granddaughter of Herod the Great, who tried to kill Jesus. And she is sister to Bernice, who we'll meet in Acts chapter 25, the next chapter. So Felix has a Jewish wife, and he brings his wife into this relationship. And Paul talks to them, verse 24, about faith in Christ. And he's witnessing to them. And in verse 25, well, I'll just read it. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he answered, go away for now. When I have convenient time, I will call for you. Conviction began to settle over this man. This is, keep in mind, it's a corrupt man. And actually, the only reason Paul's still in jail is that Felix is corrupt. And he's a political man. He doesn't have values. He only worries about himself and his political angle. And that's why Paul's unjustly in jail. And yet, Felix is starting to feel the grip of the Holy Spirit on his life. Paul is talking to him. He's talking repeatedly to him. Now he's talking to him and to his wife. And he's talking first about righteousness, being right with God and being wrong with God. He's talking to them about having a will. In, the, in this translation, it said self-control. That we choose our actions. We choose our path. We choose our behavior in life. And consequently, he's talking to them about We face a judgment to come on our life. God knows everything we've done. He knows every evil thing. He knows every good thing. And at the end of our life, righteousness will be the standard. And we will be judged. And there is a heaven. And there is a hell lying before all of us. And we have a choice of which direction. Thank God we have a choice. It's not just fatalism, and it's not just some divine lottery where God picked who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, just totally random. I mean, what kind of God would that be? That's not the God of Scripture. But there is a choice. He's given us the free will to choose our future path by choosing our present path. And for the next two years, Paul is kept in prison. By this corrupt man who is at once fascinated by the gospel, he is drawn to the person of Paul, and he's hoping for a bribe. I mean, people are a mess, aren't they? Paul patiently works with him. He reasons with Felix. He's trying to move him to repentance so Felix and his wife can find Christ and receive mercy for their sins and become born again. He's working on it. You know, that's a whole other kind of evangelism. And that's really what I want us to settle on here as we, as we move toward the end. You know, there, there's a kind of evangelism where you just get a moment and you share your faith and you just put it out there. And then there's another kind of evangelism, though, where you recognize that a person is being called by God to repent and you enter into an evangelism of persuasion. And it's like, come on, go with me. Go with me to church at least. No, I don't, don't want to go. Come on, go. It's not as bad as you think. And they're, they're not what you think they are. You're going to like it. And then they say, okay, okay, I'll go on Sunday. And then you try them on Sunday and they don't come. And then you see them again the next week. Hey, what happened? And they say, ah, oh, well, you know, I got kind of scared. And you just keep working it. And, and God gives them a little crack inside their heart. And you keep pushing and that crack gets a little wider, you know. And it takes time. And these people come to Christ, and their life is changed. You know, oh, you're trying to persuade them. Yes, I'm trying to persuade them because they're on the wrong road. They're headed to an eternity separated from Christ. They're not happy. You can't be happy without Jesus. And the inside of them is not right. It's not fixed. They've not been transformed. I want this for them. So, yes, I'm pushing for them to do the right thing and for them to avoid the judgment and for them to walk away from a life that is not a completely satisfying life, no matter how much money they've got and how much success they enjoy, they need to find Christ. Jesus is everything, and I know that because it happened to me, and I am living in it. So, yes, I love my friends enough to push and push and push and work on them. You know, I know where the line is, and you'll find it. It's different with different people. Some people are one to Christ easily, and others are one to Christ After great effort, you know, you just love them long, a long time. And they come and honestly, yet others hear the gospel. They comprehend God's offer. They have hard, unyielding hearts that will not respond to God's mercy, though you present the word of God to them with many tears. And Felix turns out to be such a man. I heard Billy Graham say at a meeting I was at once. He said, it is not my job to make it easy for you to come to Christ. It is not my job to lower the demands of repentance. he said, it is my job to clearly and compellingly present the gospel to you. And then you must make your own decision. My friend, God has called you and he's called me to bear witness for him in our generation. So let's be faithful to it. And then we'll see the Holy Spirit work circumstances and give us the chance to bear witness for him in the lives of people around us. It's a good word. And it's a good time to evaluate, you know, who are you working on? I'm asking myself that. Who am I working on? Who's my Felix that in love I will just continue to wrestle with for their soul? That's all for now. Uh, If you want to talk to me, you can always email me directly, chuck at queenly.com. I would love to hear from you. And, hey, if you haven't checked out medialightonline.com, you need to go there. We've got resources for you, lots of things in there that will help you grow. We've got courses you can take. It's all free. medialightonline.com. Sign up as a free member today. See you next time on Thread.